pranams at swami's lotus feet loving sairam and greetings from prashanti nilayam this is my second talk in the current series dealing with spiritual awareness or awareness for short just to refresh your memory awareness means that since the human being is a spark of the divine humans must live their lives deeply conscious of the fact that they are divine at the core in practical terms this means humans must ensure that all their actions are guided by the truth that god is present at all times in all beings and in all inanimate entities also last time i introduced a concept called the golden triangle to explain how man violates this golden rule he first factorizes creation in respect to god and society and then adopts convenient standards of behavior for dealing with god on the one hand that is if he believes in god and dealing with his fellow human beings and nature on the other this fragmented approach makes it possible for man to easily adopt double standards he freely expresses love to god but when it comes to dealing with his fellow human beings he often behaves in an abominable manner totally oblivious to the presence of god in that other person in short this convenient fragmentation gives the man a split personality if one ignores the immanence of god in fellow human beings and indeed in all living creatures then it opens the possibility for cheating treachery injustice etc all of which are responsible for many many of the problems faced by humanity today in this talk i would like to introduce you to another related concept that we also expose our students to and this is the so called limb hierarchy if we examine carefully the so called golden triangle and the limb hierarchy are closely related actually this limb hierarchy is nothing original swami himself drew attention to it a few years ago and there was a period when he stressed it constantly both in private and in his public discourses the limb hierarchy goes like this man is a limb of society next society is a limb of nature and finally nature itself is a limb of god let me repeat that once more since this concept is very important to start with we have four entities the individual then society after that nature and finally god swami uses the terms yashti for individual samasti for society srishti for creation or nature and parameshti for god so we have yashti samasti srishti and finally parameshti each being a limb of the other to appreciate the concept we may consider the following analogy let us start with the finger the finger is a part of the hand the hand in turn is a part of the forearm the forearm does not stand by itself because it is a part of the full arm which is a part of the body as a whole 
so we have here a practical example of a hierarchy in relation to the body of man by the way swami himself gives this analogy sometimes now what is swami's point in mentioning this particular analogy the reason is the following can you ever envisage a situation where the hand would deliberately injure or harm the arm and the body no normal person and i repeat normal person would take a knife in his hand and try to injure himself would he in the same way every human who is true to his or her nature cannot harm society and nature in the bow i have used two important sets of words first there is the phrase a person who is true to his nature then there is the word harm now what do i mean by a person true to his nature let us briefly deal with that question in a recent book the nobel prize winning economist amartya sen wrote that each of us has multiple identities sen says he is a bengali an indian a professor an economist an academic etc etc all at the same time he thus has multiple identities and could not be straight jacketed into one category alone sen was airing this view to challenge the theory of conflict of civilizations now being intensely discussed in some intellectual quarters in the west the basic idea is that the current so called war on terror is really a conflict between western christian civilization and islamic ideology which according to the proponents of this theory was essentially fundamentalist sen says that it is too simplistic to argue that one is a christian and other is a muslim and the two have to be opposed to each other on the other hand says sen each person is the sum of many personalities with different components being evident at different times since hypothesis has been hotly contested and i shall not go into that i shall merely say that from our point of view each one of us does have different identities and there is one particular identity that sen ignores but we shall not ignore that and in fact we cannot ignore that that is the divine component of our total being at the bodily level we are the son or daughter of so and so we have to accept this as a fact of life i mean try applying for a passport declaring god as your father instead of giving the name of your biological father next there is the emotional personality or identity a person has by virtue of his or her behavioral characteristics here parentage etc receive to the background instead the person is described by various terms such as kind compassionate helpful cruel mean stingy miserly etc as appropriate now there is one more identity that all of us have but few recognize and that is our divine identity at the spiritual level this is the identity that really matters and it is to remind us of this very important identity of ours that swami always begins his divine discourses with the words divyatma swarupalara or prema swarupalara meaning respectively embodiments of the divine atma or embodiments of love i hope 
that conveys emphatically the importance of being aware of our divine identity. I would now like to discuss how an individual would relate to society A. When the individual does not feel there is latent divinity within him and B. When the individual feels there is God within him. There would be an enormous difference between the two cases. Some years ago there was the famous case of a man in India named Harshad Mehta who employed ingenious shortcuts to amass huge wealth. The scam was discovered and the person concerned was duly arrested. When charges were framed, Harshad Mehta pointed out that he had actually violated no law. Unfortunately, what he claimed was true. What Harshad Mehta had done was to carefully examine the complex rules of financial and banking transactions and identify loopholes. Sure enough, there were plenty. Mehta then devised a scheme whereby he could systematically exploit the loopholes to make all the money he wanted. Was Harshad Mehta guilty according to law? Probably not. At least that's what I recall many legal pundits saying at that time. In any case, he died before there could be a trial. Was Harshad Mehta morally guilty? No question about that. Life is not just about man-made laws. Rather, it is about adherence to morality under all circumstances. The case of Harshad Mehta illustrates that people often think in terms of action purely along legal lines. Such people do not bother to recognize that God is very much in society. That is why they do not bat an eyelid while swindling society. When one realizes that God is within us and also in all of us, then one has to accept that God is very much in society also. If God is immanent in society, How can one say one loves God and at the same time cheat Him by cheating society? No one who realizes that society is an embodiment of God would dare to hold being society. That is the message I presently wish to get across. Society is nothing strange or apart from us. It is just an entity that represents all of us put together. If each one of us were good, then society, which is the collection of all of us, would also be manifestly good. If, however, we were divine only in a latent sense, then the divinity of society would also be dormant. This relationship between the characteristics of the individual and the society must be carefully understood. So, we have the following facts. 1. The individual is the microcosm while the society is the macrocosm. 2. Since divinity is latent in the individual, divinity is latent also in society on a macro scale in fact. 3. If the individual does not allow his or her divinity to manifest, then there is a slim chance of macro manifestation of divinity in society. This brings me to the question, precisely do I mean by a macro-manifestation of divinity in society? Well, that's easy to describe. In a society where divinity is manifest, society would care for its citizens, especially the poor and the helpless. What the poor are desperate for are food, shelter and clothing in the first instance, and then health care 
education and old age security today as we look around there is hardly any society that is bothered about such matters for example where energy security is concerned much has been said about the oil problem all aspects of it in fact ranging from the political to the environmental if one goes to the root of the oil problem one would find that it has much to do with oil addiction especially by the advanced countries in brief the oil story as follows one today we all tend to consume plenty of energy be it as electricity at home or as fuel for transportation two even electricity comes mainly from burning oil three with all this fossil fuel burning that goes on non-stop and in increasing amounts the carbon dioxide burden of the atmosphere is rapidly increasing alarmingly in fact four net result humanity appears to be on the verge of choking to death in other words we find that individuals want more and more energy because they want cars air conditioners and what not moreover the number of individuals wanting all this is rapidly increasing meanwhile manufacturers are rushing into meet the increasing demands for cars tv sets etc to cater to the demand created by the explosive growth in gadgets more and more electricity is being produced using coal and oil governments the world over have done little to give incentives to alternate forms of energy because economists say that one should not subsidize energy production but allow market forces to dominate and what do we find at the end of it all we supposedly get low cost electricity but end up paying a lot for healthcare electricity companies are happy about the profits they have made economists are satisfied that market forces are prevailing but everyone is choking with polluted air this is the kind of modern maya we are being sucked into why because we do not use our discrimination properly and do not think things through carefully in short we simply do not bother to appreciate that the individual society and the environment have a strong interconnection that is what breaking the golden triangle is all about everyone is talking about the increase in energy demands finding more energy resources and all such matters but is anyone asking do we really need all that extra energy why do we not instead think in terms of a simpler lifestyle if we went back to a simpler lifestyle we would not need all the energy we are currently consuming people do not want to do that even if they want to profit making corporations would brainwash them with attractive advertisements trapping them into limitless consumerism and this precisely is where swami's teachings become hugely important and compellingly relevant swami has told us umpteen times about ceiling on desires but what effort do we make to follow that take a thing like cell phones today people just do not seem to be able to get along without it it has become an ugly addiction i know many listeners would chastise me for being unrealistic out of step with the times etc etc i am aware of the urgencies of modern times compulsions of business and all those sorts of things but are you aware of the brain damage that cell phones cause i am not referring to the possible damage to the neurons in the brain by the microwaves and all that 
I am referring to the manner in which people allow their precious time to be robbed by the cell phone culture. As a result, people do not have enough time for self-development through study, observation of nature, introspection and so on. That is what I mean by brain damage. Damage caused by preventing the brain from flowering as God intended it to. Instead, the brain is being washed and dragged along the path of increased consumerism by Western interests. I have seen many in the veranda of the mandir here constantly playing with cell phones. Some even have two cell phones. I do not simply understand why on earth people just cannot put aside all thoughts of the world outside and think of Swami and his teachings at least when they come for darshan. I can understand a doctor wanting to be close to his cell phone, but the others? Once one starts devoting more and more time to the cell phone, one's mindset changes. One becomes more and more of a short-term focused person. Attention span becomes very restricted and when that illness sets in, it becomes difficult to tread the path of spirituality. We in the Prashanti Digital Studio are currently in the process of producing a comprehensive documentary, an epic, I would say, depicting the story of Sri Satyasai Avatar. The project will take us some more time to complete, but occasionally we arrange for previous screenings to select audiences. While by and large most viewers have been moved, many have come to me and said, you know, it would be better if you can shorten the film. Whenever people say this to me, I always wonder, can't these people spare one hour for God? They stay awake all night to watch World Cup matches, but spending one hour watching a film on Swami seems to be a sort of sacrifice of time. This is the mindset I am worried about and not cell phone per se. Cell phone culture breeds a culture of short-term priorities. I am not making this up. Some time ago I was talking to a businessman devotee who really cannot be away from his cell phone. In fact, I once jokingly asked him, do you take your shower with the cell phone around your neck? One day when I was talking to this gentleman, he asked me, so how are you keeping yourself busy? I then told him about the documentary that we were working on and mischievously added, but it's a bit long, you know, and I'm not too sure if you would have the time to see it. I was completely knocked out when he seriously said, Yes, I am too busy for that. Tell me honestly, Swami keeps on asking us to pose to ourselves the question, Who am I? How can we contemplate on this profound question if you are jumping from moment to moment to different things? It is no use claiming that this is the way modern life is. That is really not true. What is happening is that we are allowing modern life to envelop us and then to swallow us. If we really want, we can prevent that. How? By making a serious effort to place a ceiling on desires. The less desires we have, the more time we can make for God. This is an important spiritual truth we have to digest. So you see, ceiling on desires would lead to less consumerism. Less consumerism would lead to less energy demands. Less energy demands would lead to less burning of fossil fuels. Less burning of fossil fuels would lead to less carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Less carbon dioxide in the atmosphere would mean we would all have cleaner air to breathe. 
more of clean air would mean less of respiratory problems less respiratory problems would mean better health and fewer medical bills and so on you may say okay all this is fine but where does society come into all this this is an important question and needs some attention let us start with government these days the word democracy is bandied about a lot and the government is supposed to be of the people by the people for the people and so on all these are nice words but actually that's all on paper in reality given the fact that elections today cannot be fought without money lots of it in fact actually a nexus soon develops between the so called elected representatives and those who funded the elections the money backs that support politicians do so with a very clear agenda everyone knows that thus soon after elections even in so called democracies the financiers move into cash and how do they cash in by getting the government to lay down policies that favor them rather than the public the long and short of it is that government ceases to represent society instead the government works to meet the demands of the lobbies this has started happening almost everywhere as a result there is a strong disconnect between what is really good for the public and what they actually get society can exist and prosper only if there is a social contract between the individual and society based on a moral foundation and what is this society with which one is supposed to have a contract it is not merely the government but the entire community including non-governmental organizations ngos for example the movie industry must give the public only films that promote goodness in the community if in the name of portraying realism films show excessive violence and sleazy material then the producer and director are taking society for a ride the director may wax eloquent about freedom of expression artistic expression and so on but actually he wants the public to pay for his freedom without any return of responsibility likewise the producer wants society to multiply his wealth without bothering about the dangerous consequences his film might have and so on it goes i hope that there is beyond man made laws an implicit social contract between the individual and society that involves duties and responsibilities on both sides this is natural because the individual and society are just two sides of the same coin in ancient indian society this organic link between the micro and the macro was clearly understood but in recent times attitudes have changed to put it differently there is whether one likes it or not a moral law that governs the universe society and individuals in what i am trying to stress is that we had better become aware of this overarching moral law in today's complex and tightly knit world everyone has a role to play the individual the local communities the corporations etc all the way up to the government but there must be a careful and delicate meshing of the roles and responsibilities of the various entities involved this is possible only if there are shared common objectives and concerns the responsibility of the national government is particularly important as it has to be an impartial moderator as well as a strong regulator so that social balance and equilibrium are not unduly upset 
I shall have more to say about all this in due course. It is time I came back to spirituality and the relevance of all that I have said in this talk to what I said in my earlier talk. If you recall, last time I introduced the concept of the golden triangle which enables man to break up creation into segments that allow him to forget God while dealing with either society or nature. In this talk, I started by pointing out that man is a limb of society which is a limb of nature which in turn is a part of God. Hence, if man becomes disconnected and fails to see God in society and nature, then his acts can actually disturb if not harm society. That's not at all desirable because if everyone starts doing that, then there would be anarchy in society. In fact, there would not be any perceptible society. only a loose collection of groups acting against each other each in its own self interest most tragically we see many examples of such failed states which are at best a collection of tribes dominated by feudal chiefs and warlords few of us realize how easy it is to be indisciplined and disrupt order and regularity here is my favorite example Just take a look at the situation here in Prashanti Nilayam soon after bhajan is over say in the morning you will find practically everywhere particularly on the road adjoining the south indian canteen groups of people standing right in the middle of the road chatting away merrily totally oblivious to the obstruction to traffic they are causing what i find even more painful is that most of the sevadals who are hanging around there do not do anything to clear the road It is the same in Vrindavan. I have tried many, many times to speak to Sevadals about the need for crowd control immediately after darshan till people disperse, but few take me seriously. Somehow, they do not seem to regard this kind of activity as a seva. Decades ago, it was not at all like this, but these days, people feel they have the right to do what they please. It's much worse outside. It's very common in cities to see two people riding scooters and driving in opposite directions, meeting and stopping to chat right in the middle of the road, each person on his own scooter. They both would be causing a great obstruction to traffic, but who the hell cares? This might seem a small matter, but just imagine a person with such a mentality being in a position of importance. such a person would not bat an eyelid to abuse his power and authority i have seen this any number of times all over the country such self-centeredness is what breeds insensitivity a disconnect soon develops between the ordinary people and those in positions of power and inevitably it leads to conflicts of various kinds a civilized person would hate to hurt another person If a person saw God in others, it is unlikely the person would create problems for others, including by inconveniencing them. Few realize, both here and elsewhere, that unless the individual and society are strongly linked with a moral basis, there could be all kinds of problems. One thing clearly emerges from all this. Individuals must be honest because truthfulness and integrity is their true nature. And for its part, society must respond by providing the citizens with all the protection that is their due especially in the matter of being honest thus whether we like it or not 
the fate of the individual and society are intimately tied together if individuals fail to be true to themselves then widespread fraud and cheating is inevitable and one would end up with a failed society i realize that what i am talking about is quite far removed from what might be called conventional spirituality but then this is practical spirituality and is more important than theoretical spirituality just to make sure that you have followed what i have said thus far in my two talks in the present series let me briefly cover that ground again i began by telling you that this series is based on the awareness course we teach our students but that this series is adapted to a much wider audience and without the rigor that college courses demands i then told you that swami defines awareness as total understanding after that i explain what exactly total understanding means in practical terms it means seeing swami in everything everywhere all the time the question arises why is this necessary the answer is that if you are all the time conscious of swami's omnipresence then we would be very careful in our actions what happens if you are careless in our actions that i sought to explain via the concept of the golden triangle i explained that if we drop our guard then we would deal with god in one way and fellow beings and society at large in another way if you ask so what the answer to this is that there would be a major contradiction if we pray to god and cheat fellow beings then it amounts to forgetting that god is present also in fellow beings extending this i said we must not only be honest kind and compassionate to fellow beings but also be very careful to see that our actions do not affect or harm society as a whole you want to know why we should bother about society when we have so many problems ourselves the answer is society is in a sense a reflection of our own self if we are selfish and ignore society then society too would turn the other way when we desperately want help from it this is the law of reflection reaction resound that swami often talks about is there any other reason why we should bother about society other than the fact we do not want to come to any harm yes there is and that is society is god that is the main reason why we should not harm society and not merely because society can get back at us anything else we should be careful about yes of course there is and that is nature we should not do anything that would consciously or even unconsciously harm nature and that is because god is immanent in nature also moreover nature is like our mother the great provider if we harm nature when she is giving us so selflessly it would be a traitorous act of humanitarian magnitude and to stress all this swami often mentions the divine connection running through the individual society and nature all the way to god so you see whether we like it or not practical spirituality has everything to do with not only the individual but also the relationship of the individual to society and to nature it is to stress this that swami often tells his students that we are what we are because of society and that we owe a lot to society much more than what we think society owes to us you might wonder but then all this appears to be so very new 
the gita for example does not say all this that's a common impression but unfortunately it's wrong actually the gita implies all this but does not dwell on the implications in detail in small and increasing doses swami is beginning to spell out these deeper implications which were not commented upon much until now you might ask why has all this become so important now what is different now compared to say vedic times why did not the vedic sages talk like this the answer is very simple and swami has explained that to students many times you see in vedic times the population of the earth was only about a thousandth of what it is today today about 6.5 billion humans inhabit the same planet and thanks to technology humans are not only devouring its renewable resources at a devilish pace but far worse are polluting the planet almost to the point of destruction all this because of the unchecked play of evil forces lurking in the senses and the mind in vedic times sense and mind control was important primarily in the context of individual purity and salvation but today they have a greater urgency to save humanity and the planet itself these profound implications are not at all spelled out by any guru i know Swami alone is cautioning us day in and day out and we had better pay serious attention to him before it becomes too late that is what we are trying to say in the present series i hope i am at least in some measure getting through in my next talk i shall have more to say on man and society before moving on to the equally important topic of man and nature after that there would be a change of gear any comments from your side as always you are welcome to respond by emailing us thanks for listening and jai sai ram